your copy of God's Word to Mark chapter 16. Mark chapter 16. Uh, one of the challenges for us as human beings is that we have sometimes a hard time submitting ourselves to God's Word. Uh, so we want to do anything that we can to remind us that when God speaks, His people listen and obey. One way we do that here is when the God's Word is about to be preached, we want to stand in reverence while it's read to prepare our hearts to receive it. So this time, please stand for the reading of God's Holy Word. Mark chapter 16, beginning in verse 1. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And they looked up. And they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe. And they were alarmed. And he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where you laid, them, laid him? But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he's going before you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Amen. Please be seated. Let's pray. Great God, we bow before you. We thank you so much for your power, for your righteousness. We thank you so much for your sovereign hand over all of history. Lord, as we enter into your presence, we are reminded of our sin of this past week. We are reminded of how often we are uh, gripped with fear and anxiety. Lord, how often that we um, neglect your word. How often we neglect trusting in what you have declared to us. So, Father, we confess our sins to you. We ask you to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We thank you for the blood of Jesus Christ that, that, that heals us from our sins. Father, we thank you so much for how you're moving in the hearts of our people. We thank you so much for uh, Jerry Green and, and Ken Tetter and Olin and... And Melissa, how you are just having your hand upon their lives and healing them. We pray that you would continue to answer their prayers. Father, we pray for all those this Easter who are um, dealing with doubt or um, depression. We pray, God, that you would just meet them with your grace. Father, we do pray for the churches in our, in our area who are preaching the gospel this week. God, uh, we pray for all the pastors who are going to be stepping into your pulpit to preach your word. Uh, we pray for our Rock Hill One churches, Scott Davis and Joey Deese, uh, Mike Welch, Reggie Hopkins, God. Uh, we pray as they stand and preach your word that you would anoint their efforts. Father, we also just pray for the families affected by, uh, by the massacre in Brussels and the Ivory Coast. We pray, God, that you and your kindness would just meet them in their, in their grief. Lord, we thank you for your scriptures that says that those who mourn, they will be comforted. Father, we pray now for our own hearts as we look forward to hearing about the resurrection this morning. We pray, God, that you would just move in this place. 
by the power of your spirit. Uh, Lord, we do pray that you would not just have a word of a man, but a word from God to your people. So, God, I pray that you would take this word and that you would just plant it deep into the hearts of your people. We pray that you would allow fear to run from them as they put their hope and their faith and all their trust in the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. It is in his name that we pray. Amen. There's nothing more terrifying when the feeling of when you, lo- when you lose your children. A couple of years ago, it was only for five minutes, but my little Olivia was hiding underneath my desk. And after church, we could not find her. And I was running outside like a madman. Olivia! Olivia! That for five minutes, I was gripped with fear. Well, when I was four years old, I was living with my family in Cedar Rapids, Iowa. One night, we came home from dinner from from a neighbor's house, and uh, my parents heard a car skid out of the neighborhood. They looked to the street, and they saw a car kind of speeding off. You know, in our quiet neighborhood, it was was something that was a little bit, you know, um, nerve-wracking. Well, immediately after you see that, the first thing you do is you start looking for your children. So my parents went around looking for the kids, and they couldn't find me. They couldn't find me. They didn't know where I was at. Um, you know, five minutes turned into ten minutes, which turned into thirty minutes, which turned into two hours. They got the neighborhood. Everyone in the neighborhood was looking high and low. Where was I? And you can imagine that at that moment, all they could be thinking about is that car that sped away took my boy. I'm never going to see my son again. I mean, can you imagine the, 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 the tear that was in my parents' heart at that moment? The fear and the dread that gripped their thoughts. And you know, if you've ever lost a child for just a few moments, you know just a, a glimpse of what that pain was. Well, after a two-hour search, my neighbors went back to my house, looked in my garage, and picked up a big green garbage bucket, pulled it up, and there they found a little red-headed boy with curls fast asleep. Um, To this day, I have no idea why I decided to put a garbage uh, bucket over my head and take a nap. But I did. Um, A day that started horribly, a two-hour stretch that gripped my family, has now become one of the favorite stories we tell at Thanksgiving and Christmas. Hey, guys, you remember when Dave slept in the garbage bucket? Um, A night full of fear ended with incredible joy. And that's really what we come to celebrate today. We come to celebrate on on the back end of a Sabbath that was the worst Sabbath in all of history. Uh, I love how Mark begins this gospel in verse 16. He says, it was when the Sabbath was passed. Because you remember that these disciples were putting all their hope and all their faith in Jesus their king, their, their leader. They, they, they walked with him. They did ministry with him. They ate with him. They were hoping that he was going to be the one to deliver all of Israel. And instead of delivering Israel, he, he was hung on a tree. And the scripture says that if anyone is hung on a tree, he is cursed by God. You can imagine how long that night was. Well, that Sabbath full of Fear and dread was a terrible night, and it becomes the best story ever told. 
It's, it's a story that is told again and again in our town and towns throughout the world that the one who died has been raised from that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb, and they were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? Now, if you notice, they were going to anoint the body of Jesus. They were going to anoint the dead body of Christ. They were expecting that Jesus' body was going to be in the tomb. They were prepared to see him there. And even though Jesus told his disciples numerous times throughout his life, including these women, that he was going to die and be raised, they still did not believe him because they were expecting to see him there. The women had bought spices and were concerned how the stone was going to be rolled away so they were able to anoint this body. What I've noticed is some of the greatest witnesses of the power of God are those who are not expecting to see the power of God. The women were not ready to see the resurrection. They were not ready to experience the, the angel there announcing that Jesus Christ had risen. Yet they were the first to witness it. Look at verse 4. And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe. And they were alarmed. And he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He was risen. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him? But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. They approach this tomb, and the stone is, is rolled away. They enter the tomb and turn to the right. In that day, families had, had tombs cut out in, in stone. 
And what they would do is they would place bodies in that tomb for about a year. And when the bodies would disintegrate, they would come and, and they would take the bones and put it in a box and they would bury that box. So they turned to the right and looked to see where that body was going to be laid. And they saw a man in a white robe. Marcus is implying this man is an angel. It doesn't say it, but that's the, that's the implication. All angels in the Bible are, are classified as, as men. This angel sees that these women were alarmed. Now, the Greek word for alarm here is a common one in Mark. Uh, it either means amazement or shook. It's a pretty wide range. Uh, the, the translators here say alarm. I think it probably would have been a mixture of both excitement and amazement, as well as shook. They were expecting to see Jesus. But what does the text say? He is not here. The angels saw their fear, whether by divine revelation or seeing it on their faith, on their faces, said to them, Do not be alarmed. The angels tried to calm their fears by sharing the truth of the resurrection. The truth of the resurrection should always calm our fears. Whether we are just beginning to inquire about Jesus Christ, young in our faith, or you've been walking with Jesus for your entire life, when you hear of the resurrection of Christ, your fears and your anxieties should start to subside. The angel here uses a very specific title for Jesus. He says, you seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. Now, Mark, what Mark is doing here, he does it several times throughout his gospel, is to draw up the humanity of Jesus saying that Jesus Christ was a real person living in a real time in history. Now, there are some who claim that Jesus' resurrection from the dead was not a bodily resurrection, but a spiritual resurrection, which takes place inside the heart. Now, we live in a society that's becoming more and more um, secular, more and more against the idea of miracles actually happening. Now, many of us have heard the Easter message before. We've heard it so much that sometimes we lose the impact of what we are reading. But let me just let me explain it very clearly. The New Testament does not explain that the resurrection of Jesus Christ was primarily a spiritual one. The resurrection of Christ, according to the Bible, God's word, is that it was a bodily resurrection in history. The man, Jesus, from Nazareth. He had a hometown. A first century Jew, Mary's son, grew up in a, the region of Galilee, of Judea. He was actually crucified on a real Roman cross by the Romans. He actually rose from the dead in history. It's important to note this. But the New Testament teaches a literally bodily resurrection of Jesus. We should accept the historical record of the Bible explaining a real event in history. And here's why. The verses that Bobby read to you from 1 Corinthians 15. If you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Corinthians 15. Hold your place in Mark. Just turn a few chapters ahead. Go through John and then Romans and then you'll get to 1 Corinthians. And I want you to see this because this is... We base our entire life on this truth. We really only need to pick up in verse 12. There were certain people in the community of Corinth, in the church, that were claiming that the resurrection did not happen. 
Do you know that the idea of heresy and false teaching didn't just originate in recent years, but there were people within the churches in the first century that were teaching things that were false against God. Listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 12. It says, Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? Who is he saying? Who is he speaking to? He's speaking to the church. There are some of you here who may not believe that Jesus Christ was actually raised from the dead. You may think that this was just a nice tale to encourage believers. But let me, let me show you why Paul says this is so important for a Christian. That if you are going to be a Christian, one who is going to believe in Jesus Christ, you must believe that Jesus Christ bodily rose from the dead in history in the first century. He goes on. If there is no resurrection from the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. Verse 14. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We have been found to be misrepresenting God because we testify about God that he raised Christ from the dead, whom he did not raise, if that is true, that, Christ is, that, the, that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those who are fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are only people most to be pitied. There are some people who say when people die that they're in a better place. That's true. If they're a Christian, if you die, you are in a better place. But if the resurrection is just a spiritual resurrection, there is no better place. There's nothing after. That's not what the scriptures teach. The resurrection of Jesus should calm our fears because Jesus was the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Go with me. Look at the verse 20 and 21 of chapter 15. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. Jesus was the first fruits, meaning that he was the first one to be raised. If he was the first, that means there's going to be those who come after. Paul says that through Adam came death, but by the man Jesus of Nazareth will come the resurrection of the dead. Humans fear death. All humans fear death. The very, the very natural instinct of all humanity is that we fight for survival. The resurrection of Jesus Christ should calm our fears because it solves our greatest problem. Through Adam's sin, death came into the world. Romans 5.12, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. All human beings deserve to die. Because they know in the deepest part of their hearts that upon death we all will face judgment. We want to live. We want to live on because we know that when we die we will meet our maker. We cannot escape the fear of death because we know that we are all going to meet God. When's the last time you thought of that? That you just said, when I die, I'm going to meet God. Jesus, by God's grace, came to die on the cross to pay our penalty. He was cursed by God so we would not have to experience that 
curse. Mark 10.45 For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. The only way for Jesus to die in our place is that if we, if He was a sinless, perfect man who lived in history. The Bible says, For our sake, He who knew no sin became sin for us. But today we rejoice not only in His death, but in His resurrection from the dead. Jesus literally took our punishment on the cross, and He literally rose from the dead for our justification. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is God's stamp of approval that He was satisfied with Christ's sacrifice. If you go back to to Mark's Gospel, chapter 16, it says that in, in verse 6 that Mark uses the divine passive. It says that he has risen, implying that he was, he was risen by God's hand. If you are here today and you have not trusted in Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is your invitation. It's your invitation to turn from your fear of death, to turn from your sins and to put your hope in Jesus Christ. God approved of Jesus' sacrifice. And now He is asking you, because He has been raised from the dead, so that you could turn from your sins and trust in Him to receive mercy, to be born again to a a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance, a beautiful inheritance that is undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven by faith in Him. Will you heed the words of the angel spoken to those women so many years ago? Do not be alarmed. He is risen. Now the women should have expected Jesus to be in the tomb. Notice the last words. I've highlighted them several times. It says, He will go ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see Him just as He told you. The women lived in fear because they did not trust the words of Jesus. I would suspect that those of you who have fear or anxiety grip your life. In those moments, not all the time, but in those moments, it's when you stop trusting in the words of Christ. You stop seeing the beauty and the power of the resurrection of Jesus. Well, secondly, not only does the resurrected king calm our fears, it also creates fear. It sounds like a contradiction, but it's not. Look what the text says. How Mark ends his gospel in verse, or ends this um, section, I would say ends his gospel in verse 8. It says, And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Now some of the earliest manuscripts, you probably see in your, in your Bible, saying something like this, some of the earliest manuscripts do not include Mark 6, 9 through, through 20. So the earliest ones we have did not include this. Well, I think what happened is, after the fact, some didn't like the way Mark's gospel ended, didn't like how they were afraid, so they wanted to to kind of fill it in with, with facts that have happened after the fact. I think Mark intentionally left that off. I think his last words were intentionally this idea of the women were being afraid and telling no one. Let me just provide three reasons from scholar James Brooks why this gospel ends so abruptly, and why it's a fitting for the rest of the book. The first reason, and ending with references to trembling, bewilderment, 
flight and fear is not surprising or out of place as many would have thought because Mark previously recorded similar actions when people observed the power of God being manifested in Jesus. All throughout Mark's gospel, what you see is when you see the power of God, you see fear and bewilderment. The second point, the abrupt ending is quite in harmony with the abrupt beginning of the gospel. Just as Mark recorded every very little that preceded the ministry of Jesus, so we recorded very little that followed it. And the third reason, which, which I think is, is very important for us today, is this. Mark had a definite purpose in his ending. He apparently wanted an open ending to indicate that the story was not complete, but was continuing beyond the time he wrote. He wanted his readers slash hearers to continue the story in their own lives. By stating that the women told no one, he challenged his readers and hearers to assume the responsibility of telling the good news to everyone. Christianity does not end with its hearing. Those of you who hear of the resurrection today, it does not stop here. But you are called to take what you have heard and go share it with others. It says here in the text that the women went and they said nothing of the resurrection. Now we read that and we say, how in the world, how in the world can, can they not share the resurrection of Christ? They went there, the body of Jesus was, was not there. How could they not share of Christ coming back from the dead? Isn't that amazing? A man came back from the dead and they didn't say anything. And how many times do you and I do the same? If we believe that Jesus Christ literally rose from the dead, why would we not share it? I think it is, is because when we come to Christ, we are faced with fear. Every time you share the gospel, you are confronted. Are you going to fear the person across from you, their opinion, their judgment, or are you going to fear God? See, when you see the resurrection and you believe it, you are now on the other side of the world, right? The world's over here. God's people are over here. There's two ways to live. You either live for God or you live for this world. You either are the sheep of God in his fold or you are a goat. You are a, a child of God or you are an enemy of God. That's what the scripture teaches. And when you believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, you are now at odds with the world. And you are, are, are faced with the fear. Am I going to trust God or am I going to fear the people across from me? That's what Mark is saying. When you leave this place, are you going to share of the resurrection of Jesus? You may do it at lunch. It's Easter. What about Monday? What about Wednesday afternoon and that break at your workplace? Beloved, if we believe the resurrection is true, it provides a very distinct way of viewing the world. Are we going to overcome be overcome with fear? Or are, are we going to allow the power of the resurrection to conquer our fears? That's the last point. The resurrected king conquers fear. Conquers fear. Now the gospel of Mark ends in fear. And then we open up the book of Acts. And the book of Acts is full of people who are not living in fear. We see the Apostle Peter, who denied Christ three times, stand up to the, the Sanhedrin, the, the elite of the day, and says, by the name of Jesus Christ, 
this lame man was healed. And when the, the, the leaders, the, the religious elite, looked at Peter, this is what they, they said. Luke records it in Acts 4.13. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. See, Peter and John conquered their fears of death and rejection because they had spent time with Jesus. They believed in the resurrection. By believing in the resurrection, their lives were changed. Have you ever stood on a mountaintop? Have you ever climbed a mountain and, and looked down in that valley? It's, it's a beautiful sight. Um, there is nothing above you, nothing higher than where you stand. So standing on that mountain is so sweet because we know the labor and the, the physical exertion that was necessary to reach that, that peak. And it cannot be reached without a struggle. Well, what we just have experienced over the last 72 hours is, is the picture of the struggle of Jesus Christ walking up to Calvary to be, to be crucified on that Roman cross, to be dead and buried, and then to be raised from the dead. But he wasn't just raised from the dead. He was a, ascended to the right hand of God. Jesus Christ is now seated on the supreme mountaintop of the universe. Far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, he has the name that is above every name. Not only in this age, but also in the one to come. There is no one above the sovereign Lord, King Jesus. He sits at the right hand of God with full authority and power, with all his enemies under, underneath him as his, his footstool. That's where our God is. The resurrected King conquers our fears because he has been exalted to the highest place and given the name that is above all names. Beloved, Jesus Christ is the one who died, and the one who was raised. And knowing that our God now sits far above all authority and power, gives us the freedom now to follow Christ in giving ourselves in humiliation, so that one day we will be exalted. So we, we don't have to live in the fear of this world, the fear of death, the fear of rejection. Why? It's because our God walked that path. He humbled himself to the point of death, and God exalted him to the highest place. So if we, as God's people, walk in humiliation, walk in, in suffering, walk giving ourselves as a sacrifice and service to this world, and we die, we will be exalted because Christ was the first fruits of the resurrection. We do not have to fear death because our God is on the throne. That's what the resurrection teaches us. It teaches us of the glories of Jesus Christ. Beloved, one day our King will come again. And on that day, it will be clear that we have no reason to fear. Acts 17.31. Hear this verse. Acts 17.31. It says that all people everywhere must repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man, Jesus Christ, whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. The resurrection is our assurance that Jesus will come again. We do not need to fear because Jesus has conquered our fears. 
Let me read one last scripture to you in Revelation 21. The beginning of Revelation 21, we see New Jerusalem coming out of heaven to, to dwell with God's people. And then the one who's seated on the throne speaks and says this, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. And the one who conquers will have this heritage. I will be his God, and he will be my son. It says the one who conquers. The one who conquers will have this heritage, that God will be his God, and we will be his children. Beloved, we conquer our fears. We conquer the fears in this world by belief. Not by doing, but by believing in the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead who conquered the grave on our behalf. The one who is seated on the throne will come again. In a few moments, we're going to to sing a great hymn of the faith. And the last two stanzas begin this way. I just pray it grips you. He was lifted up to die. It is finished, was his cry. Now in heaven, exalted high, Hallelujah. What a Savior. When he comes, our glorious King, all his ransomed home to bring, then anew this song will sing, Hallelujah. What a Savior. Beloved, we have a great and glorious Savior. Our King is coming. Let us live as conquerors by believing in his word. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for raising Jesus Christ from the dead, for seating him at the right hand of glory, to promise that one day he will come again, that he will give the the thirsty water from the spring of life without payment. And to all who conquer, to all who believe, we will have this heritage that we will be your people and you will be our God. Dear God, I pray that all of us here today would resound in saying, Hallelujah! Hallelujah! What a Savior. It's in our risen Savior's name we pray. Jesus Christ. Amen.